James chapter number 1, and I want to begin reading, um, beginning in verse number 2, and I'm going to read down to verse number 12. And tonight's sermon is going to be a two-part sermon. Uh, and the, the verses, the passage we're dealing with does go down to verse number 12, uh, just because of the, really, again, there's so much content here uh, that, again, I, I was going to preach it all in one message, but I figured... Uh, that it'd be better just to split it up. We're not in a rush. We're not in a hurry. And I'd rather take our time through a book like like James here or any book of the Bible rather than feel like we need to rush through it. So that's what we're going to do tonight is we're going to deal with verse number two specifically um, down to verse number four. The next week we'll pick up with uh, the following verses down to verse number 12. So let's read here. Uh, I'll begin reading here in verse number two. And the Bible says this, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Well, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we thank you, Lord, again for your precious word and the truth contained therein. Father God, I pray that as we come before your word tonight, God, I pray that you would give us hearts of understanding. God, that you would give us ears that are attentive and ready to hear and ready to receive the truth of your word for us. God, I pray you'd help me as I teach and as I preach tonight. God, I pray you would guide me by your Holy Spirit and give me clarity and thought and words in communicating your word and preaching your word tonight. Father God, I pray you'd bless each and every person that is here. God, I pray as the word goes forth, I pray you would touch lives and touch hearts. And God, this is something that, Lord, applies to all of us. Lord, there, there may be some in this room that maybe they are, aren't going through any trials right now. Lord, but as they look back upon their life, they have gone through a trial. Lord, or in the future, maybe even in the near future. Lord, there is some trial that they're about to go through. And Lord, I'm sure there are some in here who are going through some form of a trial right now. And God, I pray that you would use this passage to strengthen us, to increase our confidence in you, to grow our faith. And Lord, to help us, Lord, just to learn to have patience. Lord, learn to grow through trials, not try to run from them or ignore them. But Lord, allow you to do your work within us that you're trying to do. That you desire to do, Lord. God, I pray that Christ's likeness would be formed within us. God, as we submit to the truth of your word. 
God, be glorified and honored tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last week we began, we began this new series, uh, working our way through the book of James, and I, I'm excited about this book. Again, this is one of my uh, favorite books of the Bible, uh, because it's one of the most practical books of the Bible. I'm a very practical guy, and I like practical truth. And James is, again, we, I talked about last week, it's really the, kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. The Proverbs is a very practical book. James is a very practical book in the New Testament. Um, it deals with the, the practical aspects of living out one's Christian life, of living out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't already, I'd encourage you, and again, it, it wouldn't take you long, honestly, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe less than that, depending upon how quick of a reader you are. I would encourage you, if you haven't already, set down this week and go ahead and just read through the book of James from start to the end. Only five chapters. Again, look through it. It's not, it's not that long. Again, it wouldn't take you long to read through it. Uh, but again, I would challenge you, just so you have some familiarity with the book, um, as we get into it. And I believe that's going to help you um, as we continue on, as we proceed, just having that familiarity. So you can already be thinking about some of the truth that we're going to be delving into and touching upon over the next couple of weeks. And as we as we work our way through the book of James, um, I've entitled the series Authentic Faith because of the fact that as we work our way through the book of James, that's really one of the big themes of James is living out an authentic faith. Living out a faith that touches every area of life. You know, our faith in Jesus should not be something that just affects us on Sundays. No, it should affect every area of our life on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. And again, every area. Again, how we use our time. The words that we use. Interpersonal relationships. Again, all these things are supposed to be done in a Christian way. The Christian life, again, is to be lived out in an authentic way. And James is going to contrast living faith or authentic faith versus counterfeit faith or dead faith. Again, authentic faith touches every area of one's life, and that includes what we're going to be taking a look at tonight. And this is a topic, the topic of suffering, trials, troubles in this life, hardships in this life that every single one of us, again, we either have faced or we will face. Again, maybe we're facing right now, but it is something that applies to every single one of us. So so how does faith relate to the trials of life? How does authentic faith, how ought authentic faith to respond to suffering? Because the fact is, we live in a sin-cursed world. Again, there is conflict. There are troubles. Again, there is persecution. There are trials. Again, this, this life in this world is not, is not a walk in the park. No, there are hard things that we will deal with, that we will go through in this life. So how do we respond to those? How do we respond to those trials that we find or that we go through in this life? Let's begin in verse number two. And the first thing I want us to consider is the inevitability of trials. The inevitability of trials. Verse number two. 
Notice what James says here. He says, my brethren. So he's speaking to believers here. And he says, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. All right, so notice here what James says. He's speaking to believers clearly because he refers to them as my brethren. But he explains here the fact that trials, again, it's not a matter of if we fall into trials, divers temptations. It's a matter of what? It's a matter of when. And if you haven't already, you will. If you're not currently, it could be right around the corner. Or you get some hard news, again, or you go through some dark season of your life, or you go through some type of suffering in this world that is difficult to bear, that is difficult to go through. So James says, not if, but when you fall into diverse temptations. And we live in a world that, again, this, is, this world is not heaven. This world is not some, some utopia where... Where life is just perfect and it's a walk in the park and it's a trouble-free, trial-free life. It's not paradise. It's not the Garden of Eden. Again, that was all ruined in Genesis 3. And now we live in a world that is affected by sin. And because of that, there is conflict. There is trouble. There are trials. There are sorrows. There is grief. There is heartache. Job 5.7 says this. It says, Yet man is born unto trouble... As the sparks fly upward. All right. Man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. So this trouble is part of living in this world. There's a lot of people who try to escape it. Again, you could go move out to the middle of nowhere. You're not going to escape trials. You're not going to escape heartache. You're not going to escape, again, these, this, the, the troubles and the trials and the grief and the disappointments that come with living in this world. There is pain. There is grief. There is disappointment. There are things that are difficult to endure. And we all recognize that tonight. And I'm sure we've all been through seasons where we would say, yes, again, there have been hard times. There's been a lot of good times, but there have been hard times. There have been times, again, when it's been painful, when it's been, again, my heart has been filled with grief and I have been disappointed. And again, there are things that are difficult to bear, things that are difficult to endure. Verse number two, it refers to divers temptations. Now, let me specify here that the word temptation has to be interpreted by the context of the passage. All right, because later on we're going to deal with temptation, but it's going to mean something else. Temptation here does not mean uh, temptation to sin, all right? temptation to evil, solicitation to evil. That is not what temptation here means. And we'll deal with some verses where it does refer to that. But here, the word temptation is referring to adversity, affliction, trials, and troubles that God allows into our life. Why? In order to refine our faith. In order to draw us closer to him. In order to reveal what kind of faith we have. Who our faith is in. What our faith is in. To reveal the substance of our faith. And to refine the faith that we have. Again in verse 2 it says. James says my brethren. Speaking to believers. Again uh, people who believe in the prosperity gospel. Should read James 2. All right. Again, the Christian life is not about health, wealth, and prosperity. No, there's suffering, there's trials, there are tribulations. 
even for the godliest of people. It says the word, uh, again, the word temptations is referred to affliction, adversity. What is the word divers? It means of various sorts, of various sorts. All right, there will be a, a, a various, there, a, a diversity of trials amongst us. The trial that you go through may be completely different than the trial that somebody else goes through. The trial you experience, again, it may be in the realm of physical health. The trial that you go through, it may be the loss of a loved one. It may be persecution for your faith. It may be poverty. It may be disappointment. It may be loneliness. It may be the loss of a job. It may be, again, many things that could be equated as trials within this life. And don't think that you're the only one going through trials. Again, all of us, to different degrees, in different ways, Again, have trials that we go through. And yes, there are seasons. Seasons when the trials are, are, are again, even more. And, tri- and seasons when the trials are less. Again, but we all will experience kinds of trials within this life. But here's the big question. How will we respond to trials that God brings into our pathway? How will we respond to those trials? And so often God uses those trials, yes, to refine our faith and to draw us closer to him, but also to reveal our faith. Also to show us where our faith is in or what or who our faith is in. Again, God shows us our heart. God shows us where we are spiritually oftentimes through those trials. And he refines us and he grows us. Through those trials. Uh, second point I want to take a look at is the response to trials. The response to trials. Verse number two, and this may surprise you, it says, My brethren, count it all joy. When? When ye fall into divers' temptations. So, how are we to respond to affliction? How are we to respond to difficulties? How are we to respond to trials, to troubles within this life? Notice here, again, James says, my brethren, count it all joy. Uh, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that in just a little bit. But the first thing I want to deal with is how do we naturally respond to trials? In other words, how does our flesh respond to trials? Because this is a natural. This is supernatural. It is not natural for us to count it all joy when we go through diverse temptations. This is something that this is the grace of God within us that enables us to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. So what again, how does our flesh usually respond to temptations, trials in life? A couple of different ways. We may try and resist it. We may become upset. We may become frustrated. We may even we may even question again, why is God allowing this in my life? We may question the love of God. And we may, another response, we may throw in the towel and say, What's the use in trying? And adopt a, a defeatist mentality. And what's the use? There's no use. I, I, I give up. Another response, again, of our flesh is we may grumble. We may complain. And oftentimes when we do that, we often take out our frustrations on other people. Uh, We may grow envious and jealous. 
When we look at somebody else and we say, well, that person, they never go through trials. They don't know what suffering is like. I mean, look at their life. When in reality, again, that person probably does have trials that just look different. All right, but again, we look at other people and we begin to wonder, why do I have to go through these things? Why not somebody else? Why does everybody else, again, not have to deal with these issues? And we can allow jealousy and envy to, uh, to creep into our hearts. We may turn to self-pity and, and become uh, consumed with ourselves to the point where we forget to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. And we wonder, we get frustrated, we become angry when others don't tend to us like we think they should. All right, those are all wrong responses to trials. But here's the thing. Those are natural responses to the flesh. They're not spiritual responses. They're not God-honoring responses. But those are all responses that, if we're not careful, again, can creep into our lives. And if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not, again, allowing God and His grace to uphold us through the trials— those things can become realities in our life. And again, honestly, if we're all honest here, we'd all probably admit that we've all responded in some of those ways. And maybe God had to teach us. Maybe we had to grow. And maybe, again, God had to remind us about things. But again, whenever our, flat, our flesh goes through a trial, we, we respond in that way. But God says, what is the Christian response to trials? It is counted all joy. Counted all joy. You may be, may be wondering, what in the world does that mean? Does, does that mean that, again, I, I try to just stir up some, some emotion of happiness whenever and try to just act like I'm happy when in reality, I'm, again, I'm in pain or I'm, uh, I'm miserable or I'm disappointed or I'm going through a difficult time? That's, that's not what it means. Does that mean that we just laugh our way and skip our way through trials as if they're not a big deal? That's not what it's referring to. So how do we cultivate a joyful attitude? How do we cultivate a joyful attitude even when it's painful, even when it hurts, even when we're disappointed, even when there's grief, even when the trials of life are hard to bear? How do we cultivate this joyful attitude that God wants us to have? In verse number two, it tells us to count it all joy. The word counts. It means to esteem. It means to suppose. It means, again, which, which tells us, again, that this has, this has nothing to do with our emotions. Rather, again, this relates not to our emotions and how we feel. This relates more to how we think than how we feel. Because you may not feel like it. You may not feel joyful. But counting it all joy means to suppose, means to esteem. Again, it has to do with right thinking that leads to this joyful attitude. When I count it all joy, what I am doing is I am directing my thoughts to God. I am renewing my mind in truth. I've said it before. Your mind is where the battle is won or lost. That's where it starts. Your mind is where the, light, where the Christian battle is either won or lost, including this area. Again, how can we have a joyful attitude in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of trials? And we count it all joy. 
That means that I am choosing in my mind to remember and to meditate upon and to renew my mind in the truth of God, in the promises of God. I remind myself of the fact that God is all wise, that God is in control, that as his child, God loves me with a perfect love. And that God is truly working all things together for my good and ultimately for his glory. And I have to come back to those truths. Maybe throughout the day I have to come back to those truths. And I have to remind myself of the promises of God. Again, my life is is hid with Christ in God. I am secure in the hands of God. I am his child. And he is guiding my path and he's leading my path. And again, all things, again, even the hard things are ultimately for my good. Even if I don't understand how, even if I don't understand why, I understand these truths and these promises of God. I may not feel like that, but I choose to focus my thoughts on God, which helps me cultivate an attitude of joy, even in the midst of pain. Where is my joy? My joy is in the Lord. My joy is not in circumstances. My joy is not in emotions. My joy is not in people. My joy is in Christ. My joy is in God. My joy is derived from the promises of God, from the truth of God. And that is why, again, we need, whenever we are, again, we, we, we have that fleshly response, we need to get into the word. And we need to remind ourselves of the truths and the promises of God. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fear in James, is just the next book to the right. 1 Peter 1, verse number 6. Uh, the Bible says here, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. All right, so the Bible makes it clear that manifold temptations bring a sense of heaviness. They're a weight. They're a burden to bear. They bring sadness into the life. But notice here that we can also rejoice. So how can we rejoice while we are in heaviness? Through manifold temptations. Well, let's go back to verse number three of First Peter one. And let's let's do this. Let's remind ourselves of the promises of God. Let's remind ourselves of the truths of God wherein we find joy. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right, so there's something to rejoice in. I have been given, I have been extended, God has extended to me the mercy of God. I've been begotten again. I've been raised from death to life through Jesus. Verse 4. So what what have I been raised unto? What have I been saved unto? Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in where in heaven for you all right so notice that again a source of our joy is the life to come is what god has in store for those who believe on him and we find we have an inheritance 
incorruptible, undefiled. It, fade, it doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven. Verse 5 says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's something to rejoice in. My security in Jesus. The fact that what he begins, he finishes. If God has saved me, then I am secure in Jesus. I am kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Verse 6. Wherein the greatly rejoice. These are promises to rejoice in. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. All right, so all these, and this is just a sampling. I mean, we could spend the whole evening looking at promises of God. We just have a sampling of those here. And we find that even when we are going through times of sorrow, manifold temptations, diverse temptations, afflictions, trials, troubles, we find that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in these unchanging promises of God. You can be sorrowful and rejoice at the same time. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, the Apostle Paul, speaking about his afflictions and his distresses, refers to himself as being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Again, Paul lays it out. Again, Paul says, Again, here are the difficulties, the afflictions, the sorrows that I have gone through in service to Jesus. But at the same time, what am I doing? I'm always rejoicing. Even in prison, I'm rejoicing. Even in pain, I'm rejoicing. Even in shipwreck, I'm rejoicing. Even all these things, even when I'm, again, for for the Apostle Paul, even when I'm being stoned, I'm rejoicing. And how is that? How does Paul balance that sorrow with genuine joy? It's because of the fact that joy is not based on emotions. Emotions change. Joy is not based on circumstances. Circumstances change. You could be up on top of the mountain one day and down in the valley the next day. Joy is not found in people. People change and people disappoint you. So where is our joy derived from? Our joy is cultivated when we renew our mind in truth and we choose to believe the promises of God even in the midst of pain and sorrow. Let's turn to the book of Habakkuk. You may wonder where in the world that is. Let's go to Habakkuk. Marked it in my Bible. It's a smaller book, so. But we'll get there. There it is. All right. If you want an easy way to find it, go to Matthew, go back to Malachi, back to Zechariah. Just keep going back. Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. All right, so you'll eventually get there. Habakkuk 3. These are some of my, my favorite verses. Verse number 17 through 18. And again, you'll, you'll find here that joy is not based on circumstances. 
Again, when everything goes terrible, we can still have joy. We can still rejoice in the promises of God. Sure, it may be painful. It may be sorrowful. But we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? Because the promises of God are still the same. The character of God is still the same, even in the midst of sorrow. Verse 17 says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Again, that sounds like a pretty bad, bad day. A pretty bad circumstance. You know, that's your livelihood. And again, your 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 fruits, again, your vines aren't bearing fruit. Your um, fields aren't yielding, again, any of any of their uh, any of their uh, fr- uh, their meat. The flocks are cut off. There's no herd in the stalls. Notice verse number 18. Yet, even in spite of all those things, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. At the writer here, we find his rejoicing. Again, he says, even though all these things are, are, are not going very well, the circumstances are dire, yet I will rejoice in God. My joy is not found in circumstances. My joy is not found in whether things are going good in life or whether things are not going well in life. My joy is found in God, the unchanging God. The God of my salvation. He is my joy. How is that? Because he never changes. And his promises never change. And his character never changes. And he is that source of of constancy within my life. Other things may change around me. Your emotions may fluctuate. But God is constant. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we find our joy in him. So the right way to respond to trials is to recognize that God has allowed this trial in my life for a reason. And I may never I may never know why that reason is. But God has a purpose. God has a plan. I trust in the character of God. I know that God is all wise. I understand that it's, it's, it's ultimately for my good, even when I don't have an explanation for the trials in my life. But I'm reminded of the fact that we don't live off explanations. We live off promises. We don't live off explanations. We live off promises. You may never understand why you go through some trial in your life. And God may never explain it to you. God might might say, as he said to Paul, you know, my, my grace is sufficient for thee. And that's all. Yeah, that's all God says. And God is teaching you, again, seek me. Find your sufficiency in me. Find your strength in me. You may never understand why. You may never have any answers. But you have promises. Unchanging promises of God. Let's continue on. Verse number three, verse number four. And let's consider the refining work of trials. The refining work of trials. Verse three and four. And again, this is, uh, so you can go back to James if you want to. James 1, verse 3 and 4. And this is as far as we're going to get in the passage today. And we'll get to verse 5 through 12 next week. Um, But take a look at verse 3. 
It says, knowing this, all right, so be mindful of this, this truth here, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. All right, so when trials come into my life, I need to ask this question. What is God trying to accomplish in my life through this trial? What is God trying to teach me? What virtue is God trying to cultivate within my life? Is God trying to cultivate contentment? Is God trying to cultivate worship? Is God trying to cultivate, again, uh, seeking him first? What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to show me? What is God trying to accomplish in my life? Notice verse 3 here. It refers to the trying of your faith. That word trying, it means the proving of your faith. It means the testing of your faith. It's the imagery of, of precious metals. Precious metals that are, that are tested by being placed in the fire. And as they're placed in the fire, it eliminates, it refines them by eliminating the dross. By eliminating the impurities. But what else does it do? It not only refines, it reveals. It reveals the substance of that metal. It reveals the quality of that metal. There is a refining element to the furnace. And there is also a revealing element to the furnace. That shows what quality these precious metals are of. And so it is in the spiritual realm. So it is with our faith. God tries us, God proves us, God tries our faith, he tests our faith by placing us in the furnace of affliction. He places us in the furnace of affliction. Why does he do that? For the same reason we just talked about, to refine our faith, to remove the dross, to remove sin out of our life, to remove impurities out of our life, but also to reveal the sincerity of our faith. These trials reveal what kind of faith we have, who our faith is in, what our faith is in. If God is truly first in our life, again, these trials reveal where we are spiritually. And God is using these, God is bringing these in our life for our good, not to hurt you, not to destroy you, but to help you. Again, don't, don't see trials, again, God sending trials into your life as a means to destroy you. Again, see trials that God has allowed in your life as a means to draw you closer to himself. As a means to help you. As a means to grow you in your faith, in your walk with him. Verse 3. It tells us here that the trying of our faith through trials, it worketh, meaning it achieves, it produces what? It produces patience. It produces endurance, steadfastness in the Christian life. Again, and we all need that. Again, we are naturally impatient, aren't we? We, we naturally just want to give up. We, we naturally, again, are, are wavering people. But God wants us to be steadfast. God wants us to have some endurance about us. God wants us to have this patience, this, this patient, enduring, steadfast faith. So what is God trying to develop within us? He's trying to develop patience, steadfastness, endurance, constancy. Through adversity. Romans 5.3 says this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. 
What do you mean we glory in tribulations? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. What does tribulation achieve in our life? As we respond in faith to God, as we seek God through the affliction, what is God doing in our life? He's producing patience. He's producing endurance. He's producing steadfastness. And you may, you may not be able to see it until you're on the other side of the trial. And you're able to look back and, and see how much God has grown you. And how God has refined you. And how God has revealed areas of your life in order to, to help you seek God more. Consider this quote here and I, uh, from one Bible teacher. He says, and I quote, he says, As our faith is put to the test, we become strengthened to meet problems still to come. We may liken the process to a tree that is exposed to the winter gales. The pressure of the stormy winds causes the roots, the roots to, to go down deeper, and the tree itself becomes stronger. Without problems, we would never develop endurance. All right, just like the tree. Again, I like that, I like that picture there, that, that illustration. The winds of winter. You know, the stormy winds. Again, what are they doing to the trees? They're blowing the trees, but they're also sending their roots down deeper into the ground. Without the winds, again, the, the tree doesn't become stronger. Without the trials, our faith doesn't become stronger. We don't grow in endurance like we need to. Again, none of us sign up for trials. Again, none of us would be probably first in line if God said, who wants a trial? Probably none of us would sign up for that. But at the same time, again, God is an all-wise God, and God knows what we need more than we know what we need. And God will send these winds into our life in in order for the roots of faith to go down deeper and for us to become stronger in our faith. Take a look at verse 4. Verse number 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. Now this is the hard part. This is the difficult part. Is letting patience have her perfect work. What is our natural response to trials? To run. To flee. To resist. To try and find a shortcut to get out of the trial. Isn't it? What does God say? God says, let patience have her perfect work. Wait on me. Trust in me. And you're in God's hand. The flames will not, will not touch you. God is refining you. God is growing you. Don't resist. Don't buck against what God is doing in your life. Again, receive it from the hands of God. Allow patient endurance to come into full bloom within your life. God is trying to cultivate this patience, this endurance, this steadfastness within your life. Again, it is so easy to give up. It is so easy to doubt. It is so easy to complain within trials. What we're doing is we're short-circuiting what God is trying to do and what God is trying to develop within us. When we're in the trial, we need to trust God. We need to submit ourselves to God. We need to recognize God is all wise. God cares for me more than any other person cares for me. God loves me more than any other person loves me. Again, God is working all things together for my good. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God, your will be done. God, I submit this to you. 
God, I, I accept this from your hand. Again, I'm done fighting. I'm done resisting. I'm done complaining. God, help me to have a joyful attitude, a joyful countenance in the midst of trials. Uh, one Bible teacher says this, and I quote. He says, do not give up, but persevere until you are certain that God has perfected in you that virtue which needs cultivation. And all of us have areas that need cultivation, right? All of us have areas that we need to grow in. None of us have arrived. And God, God will bring trials into your life. Again, don't give up. Persevere. Allow God to, to do his work in you. Allow God to cultivate whatever virtue he is trying to cultivate within your life. Don't allow your trial become, to become a stumbling block into sin. All right? Again, allow your trial to drive you to God. Allow your trial to turn you to God, to grow you in your faith, to trust in him even more. Verse number four. It tells us what God is, what is God trying to do in our trials? He is trying, God is, God is uh, cultivating within us a, a maturity, a spiritual maturity. It says in verse four that he may be perfect and entire. The word literally means complete and mature. So the goal of heaven sent trials is to produce a greater level of spiritual maturity within you. And God is growing you. God is drawing you. God is cultivating again greater faith within you. He's refining you. We need to trust in him. As the hymn says, we just sang this earlier. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And what did Job say? It says again, God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, tested me, proved me, refined me, I shall come forth as gold. Job recognized that. It took him, again, he had, he had to work through things, but again, God brought him to the place where he recognized God's hand upon his life. Again, don't fight your trials. Recognize God has a purpose. God has a plan. God is refining your faith, even when it's painful. God is refining your faith. But as you trust in him, as you submit to his perfect will, again, uh, submitting your trial to God, God will grow you. God will draw you closer to himself. And we all need that. You know, there, there's so many testimonies that I've heard, and even I know my wife and I can you testify of this too. You know, of you, you go through a trial, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and it hurts. Again, it's something you would never wish on somebody else. But you get to the other side of that trial, or you get down the road, and you look back, and you recognize how much God has used that trial in my life. How much God used that trial to grow me closer to him. You recognize that I would not be where I am today without that trial. My walk with God would not be what it is today without that trial. And even though, again, I would have no desire to go through that again. Again, God has worked and God has refined and God has grown me. And again, I've heard so many testimonies from Christians who would, who would say the same thing in their life. 
Again, yes, it's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. But as you look back upon your life, if you, as you have submitted to God's will, you've seen how God has drawn you closer to himself through that trial. The story is told of a young minister. And this minister realized that he lacked patience. So, so he, he went to an older man of God to pray that he might have more patience. The older man knelt beside this younger brother in the Lord. He began to pray that God would send trouble and difficulties upon him. After a while, the younger brother tapped the older minister upon the shoulder and whispered, You must have misunderstood me. I asked that you would pray that I might have more patience, not more trouble. Then the older man replied, The scripture says, Tribulation worketh patience. That is the only way. That is the only way. Tribulation worketh patience. We find here, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What is our response? Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And submit to the plan of God. Focus on the promises of God. Recognize your joy is not found in circumstances. Your joy is not found in emotions. Your joy is not found in people. Your joy is found in Christ, the unchanging God. Your joy is found in God's promises, the unchanging promises of God. And recognize this, and I quote from one Bible commentator. He says, trials are not enemies bent on destroying you. They are friends come to help you in the development of Christian character. It's going to a lot of a lot of truth to chew on tonight. Again, if you're not going through a trial, again, we recognize it's not a matter of of if, it's a matter of when. And it may be maybe just right around the corner. You know, or you may know another Christian brother or sister that's going through some trial. Again, and we recognize or maybe you've gone through some trial in your life. Recognize the fact that God is working. God has brought that into your life for a reason. No, don't see it as an enemy. God's not trying to, to destroy you. God's not trying to hurt you. God's trying to help you. God's trying to develop you. God's trying to give you patience. God's trying to give you a sense of endurance and spiritual maturity in Christ. So let's go to close with that thought tonight. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we thank you, Lord, just for the truth in your word. And God, we thank you just for how practical uh, your word is, and Lord, how it applies just to the needs that we have. God, I pray that we'd recognize, Lord, just the truth in this message. And it's the truth, really, that, that every single one of us need to be reminded of. Lord, so many people, Lord, so many, or there may be somebody here today, Lord, somebody here tonight, God, who is going through some trial Lord, that none of us may even know about. Or but some pain, some issue, some trouble that they're dealing with. I know many in this room, Lord, as they look back upon their life, can see many trials that they have gone through. And I know for probably all of us, there, there will be trials ahead. And God, I pray that you would remind us that, that you're all wise. God, that you have a perfect plan and purpose. 
and allowing these things into our life. That the flame, the furnace that is in the furnace of affliction, what cannot hurt us, it only refines us. And it reveals so often, Lord, the substance of our faith. And God, I pray, Lord, that that trials would drive us to you. That trials would turn our eyes upon you, Lord. And God, that we would trust in you more. God, I pray you'd give us strength and endurance and patience. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd grow us, Lord, in Christ. So that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, I pray that our confidence and our faith and our hope would just be focused upon Christ. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, to cultivate just an attitude of joy. Lord, even in the midst of pain. Even in the midst of difficulty. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.